Welcome to Hey Hello Podcast, a space where I sit down with doctors, nurses, patients and professionals in all avenues of healthcare. We talk on topics within the space relative to them. You'll hear us chat about medical moments, personal experiences and all things in between. Firstly, thank you so much for jumping on and listening to this episode today. It's a really great personal episode with Lee Shepard. I will give a pre-warning that we do touch on some topics that could be quite triggering for some people. I have put a few links in the description box as well as providing Lee's email address. What I love about this episode with Lee is it really highlights how sitting with yourself, taking time out for yourself and acknowledging what is going on in your life and your own behaviors and what's holding you back is so incredibly valuable for getting the life that you want sometimes there's things in our lives that are happening um, and in this case we talk about OCD being that thing that unless we stop and we address these things they continue to have a detrimental impact to our lives so what I think is really fantastic which I will let you listen and you will hear it all for yourself Lee gives a whole new perspective on this topic and Lee also announces something really huge that's going to be happening here in Perth but it's moments like this and knowing that this conversation is going to eventuate into so much more and knowing what's to come this is what gets really exciting and the people that's going to be impacted and the changes that are going to happen is yeah it's it's fucking good Lee, hello. Hey, hello. Everybody, I have the lovely Dr. Lee with me today, and this is going to be a really, really exciting, eye-opening conversation that we're going to have, and I will let Lee introduce herself. So we might just start there with you telling the guests a little bit about yourself, and then we can let them know what we're going to get into today. Fabulous. Um, So my name's Lee Shepherd. I'm a GP registrar, so I'm within the last sort of 12 months of my GP training. Um, I studied medicine in WA and I've been a doctor for about eight years now and I'm having a break. Yes. And it's great. How good is a break? It's really good. Eight years of medicine though is a lot. Yes, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Full-time focus. Yeah. So I grew up here in Perth and did went to school in East Frio, went to high school in in the public system. Um, did a science degree because I knew that I wanted to do something healthcare, but I wasn't sure. And it was in my first year of my undergrad, my coordinator said, have you ever thought of medicine? And I scoffed and said, no. Nah. <laughs> You're like, not for me. <laughs> um, he was applying for medicine. So he said, I think you should sit the campsite and see how you go and I sat it and I actually did quite well fantastic yeah so I thought oh achievable goal um and yeah so I did a bachelor of science I did honors as well which the people in my medicine interview thought was amazing they didn't know that I hated doing honors (laughs) um and I was lucky I got into med school finished in 2015 uh and since then I was very much going to go down a critical care route. I was always thinking anaesthetics when I was younger. Did trauma Yay, anaesthetics. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> did trauma anaesthetics in the UK at the end oh, of did you? Yeah, end of my wow. degree in um, 
like our medical elective that we do. I really liked it, but I really liked meeting the patients in the emergency department when they first came in, like for whatever trauma they had. And I was at St George's in London, so it's a major trauma centre. How long were you in London doing that? Oh, a short period of time. Was that... Um, you select an overseas, it was like a placement? Sort of, yeah. You can do anything that you want. Yeah. And so if you have okay enough marks, they let you, um, you know, a plan to go overseas because it's right at the end of your uh, degree yeah. when I did it at Notre Dame. Um, so you've finished all your final exams and then it's like a month after you've done your exams in between finishing and then graduating. That's fantastic. That's yeah. so cool. And so cool to see the health system over there and how they do yeah. things and then compare it here and also just the learning because different traumas, different things happening. Absolutely. Society-wise. Yeah, so wow. I, I really liked the ED side of things. And then when I did ED as an intern, I was petrified, but I was on a brilliant team. And when I did it as a resident, I found my groove with it and I really loved it. Uh, and then I had a really hard time. I had a year that this was... This is back in Australia now, so you were yeah, just there for six. I was only, no, I was only in the UK for a month. It was a month, a yeah. brief, A brief little... A brief stint, yeah. but still fantastic exposure. Mm, yeah. yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I loved ED as a junior doctor. And so then my plan was to continue down that path. And I did a master's in medicine, in critical care medicine. Oh, wow. So, like, I was really... Driven, that was your focus, that was your goal, you had an yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I had a really difficult time. <laughs> and it was a difficult time personally. It was mm. this 12-month period with lots of traumas, multiple like deaths that were quite traumatic, lots of family dynamics that were really difficult. Mm. Um, my health and my husband's health was a bit affected as well. And sort of from that... And my previous inability to look after myself properly um, really put me in a, a heap. And then Everything. COVID happened. <laughs> Everything at once. When it rains, it pours, really. Oh, yeah. So I lost my love for ED. I struggled and I tried to keep it up. I changed um, and had a bit of time out of ED. I changed hospitals, went to a different ED. But... It I couldn't is do such it anymore. It's a challenging environment as it is with the stresses involved and how much you have to be aware and be able to think and troubleshoot and mm. you know um, you know collaborating with your MDT and just everything involved is I just look at my like my colleagues at ED doctors I'm like you guys are amazing yeah. just even to come in and do the job. Yeah. And because when it like when it is good and when it feels good and when you're enjoying it and when you're working with amazing teams, it's the best job. And when you're not quite there with it and you're struggling with it, it's so hard. Mm, I can't even imagine how hard it would be. Yeah, so it took me probably two years to decide that I was leaving. Um, and I had to really consider what I was going to be doing instead because I've had lots of experience doing different jobs but nothing kind of really stuck and so I decided that maybe it would be best to do something more broad so I've applied for GP training and it would be something that could open lots of doors uh, and I've got 
less than a month, less than a month, yeah, less than a year uh, of my training left. Uh, oh, and it was in preparing for my fellowship exams that I really struggled more than I've ever struggled in my life. Yes. So that's why yeah. I've stopped. And now you're on a break. I'm on a break. You're on a break. It feels great. This is fantastic. I think everybody... It's unpaid leave, <laughs> um, which is probably not the greatest aspect of it. But apart from that, it's great. You have to be able to get to a point where you realise that you're not going to be able to progress anymore unless you pull back and address whatever needs addressing and we will talk about that a little bit so the mm. listeners can kind of understand because we're leaving some gaps there they're probably thinking what are they talking about with yeah. those things but we'll get into <laughs> we've already that. had a chat <laughs> we've had a pre pre little combo um <laughs> many pre little combos actually yeah. before this um so i guess we should probably tell them what we're gonna jump into um and we can fill in those gaps yeah so do you want to the big elephant in the, the room big elephant there is a book called Try Not To Think Of A Pink Elephant, which my, some of my friends are part of um, authoring. So <laughs> go oh, check that fantastic. one out. Yes. The Big Elephant in the Room is Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. So that's going to be our focus today. We're going to talk a little bit about Lee's journey with OCD and just creating insight to the disorder and what it involves. And, and Lee's an expert on this, so we're going to let her... We're going to let her take the reins. <laughs> Lee's an expert with very significant anxiety, so she's quite concerned about making an error <laughs> in describing what OCD is. But you're right, I'm an expert in OCD. Um, I was only diagnosed recently, so probably 18 months ago. But when we look back at things that I struggled with and things that I found challenging and things that happened in my life, um, it was quite clear that I've had this for a very long time. But you weren't able to have an answer until later in life and you've gone your entire life having this environment, this situation, this, these feelings, these things happening and not knowing what it was and why. and how to manage it yeah I think so the earliest recollection I have of having difficulty with OCD was when I was we went when I'm not quite sure how old I was I was either three or four um wow, it was so a difficult young. time my brother had just had open heart surgery he was a year he is a year older than me um there were a few dynamic things that came up then that I can look back on now and understand why I found them challenging things or why um, they may have contributed to how I am now and you know everything in hindsight's a lot easier and at the time when you're three or four you have no idea how to comprehend these things yeah so yeah I remember huge struggles with you know, selecting the balloon to give my brother when he was in recovery because it needed to be the right one. And I really irritated my parents one day at a dance recital thing because we had to all have a dance and pick a, um, a scarf in the middle of a circle and the one that I had been practicing with wasn't there. And so I couldn't go on. I needed mm. to have that one because it had to be that one. Um, and I couldn't explain why. 
I just couldn't do the next thing and like it irritated my parents and my mum recalls my dad saying like no we're not we're not going to continue this if this is how it's going to be and my parents are great they're so lovely supportive people and we didn't know but as you wouldn't because you're just you're a three four year old child you just think that you're being picky yeah but it's it's in my little brain vault and it stayed there (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so then there was lots of like it was very much initially about symmetry and about just right and that sort of stuff um a little bit of concern about like contamination and that sort of thing initially but not it wasn't as disruptive to my life and then I think it got worse when I was a teenager, one of my beautiful uncles that I love dearly got very sick. He had pancreatic cancer mm. and it was a shock to find out, a shock to see the treatment, awful when he was in the hospital. Um, and I couldn't, I knew something about my processing it wasn't quite right, but I didn't know what it was. Um, you must have felt so isolated. Yeah, I did. And I'd actually just been really sick as well. When he died, I'd had um, chicken pox as a 16-year-old and I was very sick with it. <laughs> it was bad. Um, so, yeah, I kind of muddled through school. Uh, I did okay in my exams. Would never have got into medical school out of high school. Um, absolutely no way. <laughs> um, and then when I started uni... It was my first year coordinator, really, who was the person that encouraged me. And I actually work with him now. I do. He's a GP. Oh, fantastic. What a journey. Yeah. That's like a whole decade of... It's 17 years. Oh, my gosh. That was 17 years ago. Oh, my gosh. You guys must look back at that and be like, look at where we start. Like, look at how it all began and look at us now. I I know. Wow. They're very old. No, you're so... She's not old. She's teasing. (laughs) She's younger than me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so, like, I went to uni and I was uncomfortable about a lot of things and I didn't know why. And I struggled to fit in and I didn't know why. I had a great little friendship group in my undergrad. We're all still friends now and, like, I love them to bits. And it's just really difficult when you're not sure why you don't fit in. And I think that's also like at the moment we're definitely looking into is there comorbid ADHD? Yeah. Well, ADD because I'm not hyperactive at all. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we sort of, I wonder if that has factored into things as well. Yeah, so COVID wise, like I started working Part of the problem that I have with OCD is a very specific contamination worry and that came about at the same time I'd had that 12-month period of like all the personal hell going on Mm -hmm. and it was because right at the beginning of that I got a scabies infection probably from work. Yes, working in ED. Don't know exactly where it was from Um, and it was really atypical. It started in a location that isn't normally like where it would start. Um, the progression of my symptoms was kind of not not textbook. And so I'd gone to see my GP 
and say like something is wrong and I'm just like my skin is so uncomfortable and irritated and I don't know what it is um she didn't know what it was either and I said to her like do you think it's scabies and she said no and she's having a look at my hands and yeah. having a look at my arms there's nothing and there in childhood um illness usually is oh really oh, I don't know it. if I ever had it when I was a kid but oh you um, see it in oh, children in kids you see yeah. it a lot in children do you want me to put the heater on by the way yeah it's pretty <laughs> <laughs> where it's like <laughs> I was thinking, like, um, should I go get my jacket out of No, please. You're in the house. We can get the heating going. I'm freezing. I'm freezing Lee over here. She's in the fridge. It's really I hot. I was thinking, so just, like, I might need to pause to go and get my jacket. Oh, no, please. Whatever you need, just, like, don't let this block us. If you feel, if you're like, I need a snack or you're on a hot tea or I'll get that heater going. It warms up pretty quickly. I might even have, like, a blanket or something. So we were getting to what was happening. Yeah, yeah so scabies. Yes, so I didn't did a little bit of googling to sort of figure out what I thought it might be and then I was like I feel like it's scabies and that day that I'd seen the GP, I woke up in the night and I was itchy and I was like I don't know what this is, but I'm treating it like it's scabies because I feel like that must be what it is. And the treatment for it is you just like lather yourself from head to toe in this cream and you leave it overnight and then um, you're supposed to do like a hot wash of all your laundry. That very much became a process for me and I remember at the time doing my very elaborate laundry regime <laughs> that I knew something wasn't something was happening mm. inside, something was that, wrong. Did you feel like you needed to constantly do that because of the infection that you had got? You had fear of maybe having it again and yeah. then you, you felt like the only way to prevent that was being someone in control of the cleaning and having everything sterilised almost. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I joke and say like I've autoclaved my life <laughs> um, because, yeah, it was incredibly... There was a system of like hot washing, having stuff out in the sun, putting stuff in the dryer, quarantining the stuff, knowing when things were quarantined. And I think because when you do treat scabies, you have this intense itch. And once it's treated, they're all, they're all dead now and they're not gonna be doing anything, but the intense itch lasts oh. for another four to six weeks. Oh my gosh. You poor thing. Yeah, so I think it was probably a couple of months where, like, at least a month I thought I was just completely something was wrong and mm. I thought, am I going nuts? Is something wrong with me? What is, why am I so itchy? What is... Yeah, and before we figured out what it actually was, my mum had bad news for me um, and it was to let me know that my cousin had died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. He, um, my mum had come to tell us when we were walking the dogs at the park and my skin felt like it was so irritated and I was getting goosebumps and stuff because my skin actually was like super irritated. Something was going on with it. And I remember mum telling me that Lauren had died. Mm. She'd committed suicide oh, and that's really. something that has been 
theme in my family, so it's hard. And she had young children, which was awful. Um, and I just remember, like, the sun on my skin, my getting all these goosebumps, being so uncomfortable, being upset about my cousin, and it just all combined into this, like, this feels horrendous. And I didn't know why. Mm. And then I figured out why. Um, and I remember at her funeral being so uncomfortable because I was still itchy. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was awful. And a lot of other things happened. At the same time, my husband yes. had a broken leg and he had to have surgery and my granddad was really sick and I was helping to care for him and visiting yes. him just about every day in hospital on top of working full-time shift work. In ED. <laughs> in ED, yeah. Um, and, yeah, my mother-in-law got breast cancer. She died of a brain aneurysm. Oh, my gosh. Very, very difficult to get to the UK in a hurry. Um, got stuck in the UK was for a month. during COVID as well? No, this was just before okay. COVID. It was the, you know, precursor to COVID. This is all 2018, 2019. Yeah, so... There was just so many things. My grandpa um, was then, he had a fall and was hospitalised. He passed away a couple of weeks later, which was devastating for me personally. And there were some difficult family dynamics um, with both families, so my family as well as, as my in-laws. I can't imagine how overwhelmed you would have felt with everything going on all at that same time. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. I wasn't working right at the end of it, which was good because I'd had to drop everything and, and go to the UK quickly. Um, How do you work in an ED when you have these things happening in your life, let alone, you know, it's hard enough to work in ED fully functioning healthy without family members dying and passing away. How do you then go to work and deal with sick people, yeah. critically ill people, knowing you're dealing with your own personal stresses? It was a lot. It was, and I think because being undiagnosed for such a long time, I've got some excellent coping mechanisms and I look from the outside. Very in control. Like I function well. And I think that, you know, that's great and it makes other people feel comfortable, but it's actually meant that when I have said to people, I'm not okay, I need help, I haven't got it. A lot of the time I've really had to navigate helping myself because I look so competent. Yeah, it's, it's almost unfair because just because you're a well put together, well spoken, intelligent woman, you must be fine. Yeah. And that's the assumption people make. And if you speak up and say, I'm struggling because they don't see what is going on and they don't understand, because I feel like these topics aren't understood completely until someone has lived through it themselves or yeah. had family involved. Like, it's really hard for people to really understand. Mm. And I think that's very true. And I think especially for OCD, yeah. people know what depression is, which I also have. <laughs> people know what anxiety is, which I was also dis misdiagnosed with for a long time. Um, People have an idea of OCD as neatness, cleanliness, um, a positive thing, 
And that's something that I'd love to touch on as well is people throw the word out there like it's a thing to be proud of like, oh, I'm so OCD, like look at this. Whereas it shouldn't be used in that way. And like, I think you and I had a conversation about people saying like, oh, I'm so OCD, oh, your house must be so clean and you must be so in order. The way I look at that, how inappropriate that is, is, is it's like saying to someone with an eating disorder, oh, like, you know, oh, well, you must be so skinny. Mm. Like, why would you say that? That's so inappropriate. Yeah. Like, and obviously it's, I understand people's understanding of like the depth of those words and the comments and how much further it can go. So it's, it is really challenging and it's most challenging, I think, when you have explained to people why that's not an okay comment and they double down. Um, Must feel so vulnerable. Yeah, it's, and it's not just with people, it's actually companies and that sort of thing as well. There was a recent example. So there was a business on Instagram that shall remain nameless who make like reusable coffee cups and big like drinks and stuff. It's an American company, so you can imagine everything's supersized. So yeah. yeah. And one of them, it had OCD on it and it was obsessive coffee drinker. And a lot of people from the OCD community, as well as their, you know, friends, family, everyone kind of let the company know. They were like, look, we understand that this is supposed to be humour. Um, that's not lost on us, but this isn't helpful. This is a debilitating disorder. Um, can you please consider taking this down? And if someone said something like that to me, I'd say, oh God, I'm mortified that I've hurt your feelings or made you uncomfortable or um, you know, contributed to your life being more challenging than it needs to be. And I would take it down. And what the company did was they doubled down and they deleted all of the people's comments that had asked for it to be taken down. They blocked people who'd messaged privately to explain why it was important that it came down. Um, the International OCD Foundation got involved and wrote an article about it and eventually it was taken down and that was it. There wasn't an apology or, you know... Not even an apology. No, there was no reflection on, you know, why, why that wasn't the greatest oh. of ideas. And it's, you know, that's one example, but there are many. Um, yeah. Where people just use it to say it and it's thrown around loosely. And I mean, everyone's, everyone's guilty. We're all guilty of saying comments and and things about, you know, diagnosis or like some, even like depression, people are like, oh, I'm so depressed mm. or like, but I think what we're trying to say is it's more than that. It's, yeah. It's and it's, you know, I I've, I've saw something on my uh, Facebook memories that come up, like eight years ago I wrote something and then I mentioned OCD. I hadn't been diagnosed with OCD then. I was making a joke about OCD and maybe I can because I have it, but I didn't know that then. <laughs> so even yeah. me, like I've even done it. Yeah. Um, but I think all we're saying is just to be mindful if you're aware that someone could be struggling or, or has openly been vulnerable that they are. Yeah. Just tread carefully. Yeah. And be 
understanding yeah. of that. Exactly. And one of the, the ways that I've kind of thought about it recently was, you know, when you're using pronouns, sometimes you don't know what people's pronouns are. And if they correct you or if you ask, um, you know, you take it on board and you change what you're doing so that you're not making someone else uncomfortable. Yes. It's, yes. It's not revolutionary. <laughs> it's just being like a nice person and yeah. being considerate of other people. Um, with you doing ED and was it, and working in um, an emergency department, was it your entire like career in ED that you felt that you had become more aware of it and then the catalyst was your life events that happened during that year that kind of pushed you to go, wow, like I, do, I really feel like something's going on with me that I want to be able to understand how I'm feeling like this and how to deal with this. Mm. Was, do you feel that was the catalyst during your life events that year or, or had you kind of been building up to it already and then that was just the push, like, Lee, I'm not okay. I, I want to go and find out what's going on. I think it was probably the second. And the reason that I say that is because I reached out to a family member who is a psychologist mm. before all of this happened um, in 2018 okay. for a recommendation for a psychologist because I was planning on stepping up as an ED registrar and I was like, I just want to be the best ED registrar I can be and, you know, everyone should go to psychology and just sort their little, you know, bits and pieces out. So I'm going to be super proactive and I'm going to, you know, see how I feel and figure out if there's anything that I need to address. Especially working in, firstly, that's fantastic to be working as an ED doctor, obviously becoming a, wanting to be a registrar, to go, I want to be able to give my patients and their families the best opportunity and be on the ball thinking and problem solving. I'll make sure I'm able to do that and have the capacity to do that. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah. And that was the aim. And now when I speak to my psychologist, who I've been seeing for more than five years now, like, I didn't realise any of these things back then. And she's like, yeah, but you knew. I and knew something. You from yeah. probably so young, because you said you felt, even through uni, you felt a little bit more isolated. You felt, like, a little bit different yeah. to everyone else. Like, you knew... Something. There was something. So, yeah, there was always kind of something there. And it wasn't until after the scabies infection, because that's what my OCD, like, clung on to. Mm. It's very, I can't, in my head, it's like an octopus. It's got these tentacles. And whatever is important to you, it kind of grabs onto. And so that's why it shifts a bit over time and it can change. But for me, I do have different subtypes of OCD contamination is by far the worst for me mm. um, but then with the therapy for it it actually doesn't matter what type you have um, it's about dealing with like the underlying problem um, which is doubt and an intolerance of uncertainty um, and the behaviors help that person manage those feelings of anxiety and stress and it's basically a coping mechanism. Exactly and it doesn't, um, it's a coping mechanism that gives you very temporary relief and it only makes it worse. 
Am I correct in saying that there's, because you mentioned the word subtypes, mm. there's obsessive, it's obviously known as obsessive compulsive disorder, but there's two ways it can go. There's obsessive side and there's compulsive side, or you can have both. So you might be more, someone might be more compulsive in that they have certain rituals or behaviours that they compulsively have to do maybe checking things doors and things or there's the obsessive side where there's like thoughts that intrude is that am i correct in saying that that's it's sort of i have to double check what the dsm says not that we yeah. all agree 100 percent with it but yes it's sort of obsessions and or compulsions yes. that take at least an hour of your day yes that's essentially the, the dsm criteria um but yeah. there are different compulsions so you can have compulsions like yeah. checking and mental rumination is a compulsion but it's all in your head and so sometimes you can wonder is that an obsession is that a compulsion they, they do cross yeah over. yeah there's a bit so for me like I'm very open about talking about what my main things are and mm. um I was doing a little quiz last night in John Grayson's book about you know understanding what obsessions I have and understanding what compulsions I have and even being like pretty insightful about my own stuff I'm like oh I'm ticking all these extra boxes that I was like yeah. oh god okay it's a it's a beast. <laughs> Does it feel empowering knowing what your obsessions and knowing what your compulsions are and the fact that you have more awareness that they are those rather than feeling like what is this uncomfortable feeling you're like oh yeah this is what that is you can yeah. give it a it's Name. it's definitely been easier to ma not manage but easier to acknowledge and appreciate it when you know what it is. Um, and there's the, uh, there's a doctor in America called Dr. Lisa Levine who's set up uh, the idea of uh, non engagement strategies. And if everyone wants to go to YouTube and look at SNL um, about it's. Chad, I'd have to double check what it's called, but yeah. it's about non-engagement strategies and it's Pete Davidson um, being called up as in, you know, the movie Scream when the killer um, calls oh, yes. through to the girl. It's that scenario and the killer's sort of, you know, saying, hey, Chad, I'm going to kill you tonight. And he says, oh, no, thanks, and hangs up. And so, <laughs> and, you know, he comes in the house and he's like, this is what you've done to me, now I'm going to kill you. And he's like, no, nah, mate, don't do that. <laughs> And so a lot of my recent thinking about obsessive thoughts um, or th when an intrusive thought comes in, my non-engagement strategy is now thinking of Pete Davidson being like, nah. <laughs> no thanks. Like you no feel thanks. and feel that thought come in, you, you can have awareness of what it is and you're like, actually, I don't want that. Yeah. No, you're not welcome. No thanks. Goodbye. Because I think the thing is that everyone gets intrusive thoughts that's not i think individual. i read somewhere this is off topic but i think i read somewhere one in ten australians at some point in their life have like 12 months of it's of um dealing or kind of down that ocd um path oh, around three percent of australians experience ocd in their lifetime and three percent experience it at any 12 month period mm. which is a lot. Yeah, so I mean, that's for OCD specifically, but everyone has intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And the thing about OCD is we give so much value to those intrusive thoughts. And when they cause us anxiety, um, 
it's it's like we've wired ourselves incorrectly and so we need to rewire everything the old lizard part of our brains which is real hard to do <laughs> and this is where it gets so complex because you think about okay like you've hurt your leg let's let that heal let's rest it ice it six weeks bones repairing you know then get back into rehab but when you're dealing with your brain your thoughts you're in growth from three years old to now being 25. oh yeah <laughs> thanks for that with 17 years experience exactly um so i've i it's just a whole new battle it's like a whole new beast to deal with yeah it's it's, it's Every single day, every single moment, every single second, we're in our heads, we're thinking. And then to not really trust what your thoughts are. So before I was diagnosed with OCD officially, I looked at the DSM criteria and I remember thinking, that whole like one hour a day, does this actually impact me for more than one hour a day? And I was like, that's a lot, like does mm. it? I don't know. Now I know there is not a waking moment that is not impacted by OCD for me. And I'm lucky because it doesn't impact my sleep for yes. the most part. Yeah. I know people who barely sleep because their OCD is 24-7. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good that you're bringing awareness to this because I wanted to touch on that, that OCD, when we were talking earlier about people using it so loosely, we want people to understand that it's actually something that impacts people's lives negatively day after day after day. Yeah. And if they could choose to not be this way, they would choose to not be this way, but they cannot. And they, there's appropriate ways to help people be able to manage their OCD and mm. find ways to cope with it, I guess, and kind of have it, you know, less um, intrusive yeah. and impactful of their days, but and disabling because it disabling, really, like, it really is. Yeah. So, um, this is the other thing that I do where I forget what I'm just about to say or forget <laughs> what I was thinking about because something's <laughs> popped in. Another little tab. Yeah. Um, and it was about the timing of it. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I can't remember what I was going to say about the time, but then I was going to draw you a little mental image of what yes. actually happens when you have an intrusive thought and OCD and what your brain does and then what doing a compulsion does to the cycle. Yeah. Um, because it was something that I was looking into recently and I was watching a webinar about it and someone was drawing it on the screen and I'm super visual and so that really stuck for me but essentially everyone gets intrusive thoughts people with OCD put more value into those intrusive thoughts for whatever reason it's a very old part of your brain that it it's about your values and it's about what things are most important to you mm but it doesn't always make logical sense. Like I can logic out that I don't want to get scabies again because I had such a traumatic experience with it and then all these bad things happened. And so is my main concern about scabies that I don't ever want to get it again because it's so awful or is it because I don't want to get it again because this bad consequence and this bad consequence and this really awful thing 
happened because of that and it's that's the way that it's wired and so like I know if I got scabies again it sucks and I don't want it but I'll be okay I know that um but when I had a conversation with one of my friends recently who has OCD um they kind of they were saying like if I gave you if I gave you scabies and then they like moved their hands forward towards me and then I felt like oh I felt all the feelings that I felt back then and stuff. And so even when you're getting OCD pierceable, and like we'll all laugh about this, the people that know that I'm talking about them right now, we trigger each other all the time. Like I'll say something and it's like set someone's fears off. And because you don't always know what other people's things are because some of them are very intimate and are very socially taboo and so they might not share and that's why I think as well a lot of OCD is not diagnosed one because like you don't know what it is because you just like I'm a doctor and I couldn't piece it together and I'm an insightful doctor that works on you know bettering themselves and I didn't see it and yeah there's oh it's just a lot I, I can't even I think I can understand what you're saying though about with friends that have it and having that more, um, having had discussions with them and all knowing each other's um, OCD traits, that you can see how little things can then spiral into like, that might could be a trigger, but you don't intentionally do that. You're no, just- No, not at all. And it's, it is really nice um, and that's the big thing that I'm going to be, you know, promoting over over the years and stuff will be about peer support for people with OCD because, like, I had a, um, I organised a brunch oh, probably a couple of months ago now where it was, like, five people that I know within the OCD community. We're yeah. turning lights on. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, we have different types of OCD we have different experiences of OCD, but it was, you know, sometimes the first time for people where you can sit down at a table with others, be completely honest about things that mm. are your, you know, concerns. And even if they're not the same as someone else's, like they understand the distress that those things cause, they understand the dysfunction that it can, you know, lead to. And it is like this very automatic safe space because you know that they understand. And so I think that that's something that was really missing. And like when I was first diagnosed, I remember, you know, really wanting to find my peers. Like this is a big deal. Like having had depression and anxiety in the background, I was like, everyone gets those. Like I can sort that out, that's fine. But like who has OCD? I don't know who has OCD. And I did a little bit of searching to see like if I knew anyone who already had OCD and a few people let me know um, but I still felt like I needed more because I needed to be able to talk about some of the things that aren't as socially acceptable with you people. You would have that, had to really trust yeah. the people you were going to open up to about that because that was something that you were just having to sit with yourself and have awareness of, let alone then have to tell someone about it. Exactly. And so I, I think that's been really helpful. And my, my things that are more challenging in terms of like what's socially acceptable are vanilla. 
mm. compared to you know other people having you know quite full-on obsessions and and um, disabling type behavior yeah so my things are like I'm super open about this main one is contamination probably the next one is like perfectionism and just right OCD so I spend a lot of time doing things because it doesn't feel right and I need to get it right like you should see me trying to send like a letter at the post office it's it's an ordeal um and then like I do have harm OCD as well which is if you didn't know it was OCD related it can be really distressing mm. One of the things that I've had pretty strongly for quite a long time, and now that I know what it is, is a lot less scary for me. And these ones don't actually impact me as much as the, the scabies one does. But um, like I don't like to cook in the kitchen with my husband because most of the time in my head, there's all sorts of things going on like, what if I stabbed him with this? What if I hit him on the head with this? What would happen if I did this? And I'm never gonna do any of those things. And that's, you know, OCD is actually so, it's called ego dystonic. It's like the complete opposite of what you wanna do. Um, but can you imagine someone saying to you like, hey, do you mind not being in the kitchen when I'm in just so that I don't try to harm you? Um, it's it's the weirdest thing. and. He's, he's been really good about it and I can tell him all the, the new things that crop up. So we bought a new car recently. We've got a new hybrid Yay, Toyota Corolla. Well done. It's, his, it's his baby. Um, and we wanted to see how it went going out to Coral Bay for my cousin's wedding. Beautiful. It was amazing. We only used like 100 litres of fuel for a 2,400 kilometre trip. Like, so good. And the price of fuel at the moment. Is I know, especially win. up north. It was, it was very good. But um, as we were driving back, and I'd just been in like accommodation that was hugely triggering and like people hugging me that's hugely triggering and all sorts of scenarios where I was just so uncomfortable. And I, mm. When I'm uncomfortable, I kind of just say like, my OCD is pinging, I was pinging. <laughs> How do you feel going into that situation, like knowing you were going away? Do you get a lot of anxiety before going away on trips because you know those things will come up? Absolutely. I'm spending a lot of my psychology sessions at the moment getting through the thoughts about going to the International OCD Conference in San Francisco. Like I have to do a lot of work to be able to get on an aeroplane, um, to be able to stay in accommodation that's not mine. It makes me incredibly anxious. Uh, and so yeah, I'm working through that. I've got a few weeks to work through it before I actually so you're go. to San Francisco for the International OCD, OCD Conference. Yeah. When, that's in July, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I leave on the 2nd of July, so I'll be there exactly, in a month. Exactly, um, or just under a month. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I get to do fun things like, uh, in terms of OCD for this, the flights, very, very expensive at the moment even more expensive when you decide to leave yourself within your little window of tolerance on a 14 hour plane trip means upgrading the seat so that there's only one person sitting next to you instead of being squished in between multiple other people. Um, 
so stuff like that like yeah. you just you know that cost almost as much as my actual flights cost but I just felt like I had to do it it was something that, that made was, you feel more comfortable yeah almost. and I probably won't I'll probably feel terrible on the plane but yeah it was it was just something that was like there so so do you feel like you you want to harm them or you fear harming them I fear harming yes yeah so I've, there's no intent yes. at all to do anything Your but fear is that you might accidentally what if I do this hurt. what if I do this yeah. and it's the same like what if I got scabies it's all a big question and so compulsions are trying to like neutralize that anxiety because you can't answer the question because you can't be certain I don't know if I'm ever going to get scabies again I do know that I probably won't stab my husband um, but and I think that's probably why those thoughts even though they're quite full-on don't distress me as much as others yes. and so yeah we're driving back from Coral Bay my OCD was pinging because I've been away for a week and you must have felt really overstimulated it was just like I loved it because it's Coral Bay and my family were there and the weather was beautiful and all that sort of stuff but it was a hard week for me and we were driving back and I think it was that you know all of that stress that had built up that I cope with pretty well but mm. it was still there and then driving this brand new car um, and so and my mind was just kind of wandering as I was driving and so I'm really open with my husband and I said to him like oh there's a new intrusive thought that's just cropped up do you want to hear what it is um, and like he always wants to know these things I've told him all of the things that I've had. Which is a beautiful thing that yeah. you have such a supportive husband yeah. and you guys are so open and talking about it because that's really important when you're feeling already so isolated alone and trying to understand yourself that you can share that with someone and yeah. they can help you through that. Exactly. So it's, yeah, he's a very safe space for me. So as I was driving, I was like, okay, this is what's going on. And because I'm really visual, I'm seeing it so I can drive and I'm safely driving but I'm also very much seeing this intrusive thought and it was on a loop um, and it's I'm imagining because we're going over these crests in the road and so there's a little bit of time where you can't see any oncoming traffic and I've decided that you know because it's up north there might be a tourist that's used to driving on the other side of the road sometimes when people are in on country roads they just drive kind of in the middle so that they don't have to be close to the edge and so in my mind I've gone to this really visual place of like for whatever reason once we've got to the top of the crest there is a car in my lane and we smash and it's a bad smash and I'm visualizing all the horrific injuries that would happen um, all these nasty things and it's going on in a loop and so it's just making me kind of like hyper vigilant with my driving it's a little bit distracting but I can go on as per normal and that's the sort of stuff that happens to me all the time so if I'm doing stitches on your you know laceration on your leg I could be thinking about that you'd never know mm. I'm still functioning um, yeah and so I told my husband about that one and he was like oh it's interesting and I was like mm, yes it is and it didn't distress me I was just like wow okay but you can imagine driving that car and having those visual thoughts while you're behind the wheel yeah. down the country road. Yeah. How that's very intrusive. Yeah. And then the other one I had probably like a couple of hours later we'd stopped and had lunch and stuff. And it was, there was a, a line of road trains that were coming through and as I'm watching them sort of pass me, because um, you know they're doing 100 and I'm doing 110 and it's high speed. 
And I'm thinking, okay, so then what if a kangaroo jumped in front of the road train and then like the road train pretty much obliterates the kangaroo because it's you know so fast and so huge and stuff. But then the part that I was really stuck on visualising was the kangaroo then coming and like ricocheting into our car as we've driven past. And mm. so like I've got all these thoughts about, you know, all the blood and all the fur and, um, you know, the smashed window and what do we do? And I think it was because this car was brand new, I was just like, don't hurt the car while you're driving. Um, and that's why I was having those sorts of thoughts. But so that's yeah. where it was coming from, this brand new car, not getting... Yeah. Yeah. And already being like heightened because of you know being away from home and stuff so you can see how there's so many things that go in from being at home to thinking about going on that trip and all the thoughts about being out of your comfort zone and in this environment to then being in that environment and having that overstimulating ongoing and then to then coming home and you've already pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and now you've peaked and now you're like leaving and it's all like, okay, we're going back to my safe zone. But like having had been dealing with all of that, I think you're amazing. Mm. For <laughs> oh. It's a lot. And I think because it's been like that for such a long time and probably because I'm a perfectionist and I've got very high standards for myself, when you say things like that, I think mm, it's just my norm <laughs> but how incredible that you're able to be such a functioning amazing intelligent person and people don't see it like you said earlier because you have these you are how you are mm. and then you go away on holiday with family and everyone's happy days and then no one has any idea that you're going through that yeah they don't see it they don't know and they did because i was in. telling them yes <laughs> but see that's where it's great i sent them all an email before a message on facebook before we went up and i said guys i'm struggling at the moment can we just not do hugs like can i just like pretend to hug you because mm. physical contact is really difficult for me at the moment yeah. um they were really good they really were all like understanding. oh yeah do you feel that now that you've since years ago if you, it's been two years since you were diagnosed yeah almost oh, like 18 months so do you think since your diagnosis you've become more confident in in speaking about it with people and telling people what's going on whereas before you weren't even sure of what you were even feeling yeah so. I think so and I think because it's so it's really full-on in your head and like when you're dealing with it on your own you kind of just get used to dealing with it um, I do I tell my husband a lot there's a really good example of an experience that we had where I think he actually felt similar to how I feel when I'm wow. worried and so like he can kind of go back to that and understand the feelings behind it as well because it is very um like I have physical responses to it as well now our experience that we had was we were camping on the south coast with a friend had this amazing two-week trip um kind of in the middle of COVID which was nice <laughs> Got to go down and hang out in the national parks for a couple of weeks. We were locked down here in um, WA in Perth. The 
Yeah, we had the borders closed and we weren't really able to travel internationally, but there was times that we could get in the car and travel domestically, which felt like a real retreat. And but I think in, we were so lucky in Western Australia yeah. as well, because like I've gone up to Coral Bay a few times, we've been down to Esperance, we've done this trip on the south coast. Like if you're going to be stuck anywhere, I was actually we're pretty so glad lucky. it was here. <laughs> we're so lucky. We're spoiled in, in Perth I with know. the coastline and the We're so country. lucky. But it's, yeah, so we were camping at this place called whalebone beach i think and it's got these kind of like a hut cabin sitch for people that are on hiking trips and my friend kurt had made friends with the ranger who said that we could go stay in this thing oh cool and so you're on a four-wheel drive track that's very remote in the middle of nowhere going to this place that's very remote in the middle of nowhere there's electricity but there's no running water there's a tank there for water and stuff um you're not near anywhere there's no reception like it's pretty isolated. isolation yeah, yeah yeah it was a really hot day i think it was like 42 degrees or something like that and when it's 42 on the south coast like that is very very hot <laughs> and i um wasn't feeling a hundred percent and the boys wanted to go and look at an estuary they're marine scientists and they're all about estuaries <laughs> And we had a two week trip about estuaries. So I was like, you know what? I don't feel 100%. I'm not gonna go for a day trip when it's 42 degrees to go and look at this estuary. You guys feel free. Yeah. I'm gonna stay here and read my book. Yeah. And go to the little beach. <laughs> um, and as they were leaving, I said to James, my husband, hopefully no one murders me while you're gone because it was gonna be like at least a half day that they'd be gone. Yeah, and you were isolated in this cabin, of course. Yeah. And I, it was a joke and I meant nothing by it and I kind of freaked myself out a little bit but I didn't let him know that because as soon as I said it I was like oh, okay. So I was happily reading my book and I'd gone down and had a little dip and then had a shower in this like cold water that was there that was fresh. I'm lying down in this cabin thing reading my book and I heard the car come back and I, then I was like, oh God, someone's come to murder me because they shouldn't have been back so so soon. Um, but James, it was James and, and his friend Kurt that had come back and I was like, oh, did you guys forget something? Like I wasn't expecting you for hours. And he said, no, we, we got about 20 minutes down the road and out of nowhere, this other car was there and these people had asked for advice on like where there was good fishing and James had deliberately directed them away from where I was um, watched them go in that direction and about five minutes after that had to get Kurt to stop and turn around because he was like if they found where she was and something happened even though they're probably perfectly normal people um, he would never have been able to forgive himself had I been murdered on the south coast in this very isolated mm. cabin he felt this need to get Kurt to turn around wow. and they came back and I was fine and he hung out with me for the afternoon mm. and Kurt went and did his little estuary adventure mm. but I say to James like that feeling that you got when you weren't sure and what if something were going to happen that's OCD that's what OCD it. feels like um, and it can be as little as I don't want to touch the surface of a table because what if I got scabies? That gives me the same feeling as what if my wife gets murdered? And it's, yeah. I think that was probably the 
the best way for me to have like explained to him what it feels like. Um, and then being the supportive husband that he has been, we decided one weekend, I was like, okay, I'm just going to tell you all of the thoughts that are in my head as they're happening and they're not going to be filtered. You can just hear it all. I think about five minutes later, I was like, oh God, that's a lot. <laughs> you feel so, um, like my partner and I, we talk about a lot of stuff and, and sometimes I tell him stuff and then afterwards you feel, and, and I'm not comparing at all to like these conversations you have either, like, um, but you, when you say certain things that you, you only keep to yourself and then you share that with someone, you're like, oh, does this change how they think about me now? Like, do they, knowing these things and what goes on my head, do, do they think of me differently? Mm. Like, and it, yeah, there I is actually imagine. a subtype of OCD called relationship OCD where <laughs> that is the intrusive thought. I don't have that, which is good. Like, my husband and I have been together for a long time and, like, he, that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong there. Like, that's going to be a safe space. Your communication is fantastic that you mm. guys have and it seems like it's really helpful Yeah, with because it's an isolating place to be in your head all the time trying to understand what's going on and yeah. to be able to verbalise that to someone who can help rationalise it must be feel like a little bit safer in some ways. Yeah it does, it's definitely a safe space. You also need people around you who are understanding of OCD and understanding of OCD recovery because a lot of the things that we want to make us feel better are counterintuitive and they actually make things worse and so you know if I don't want to touch the table because I'm worried about scabies my husband could very easily do those things for me so that I don't have to do them but avoidance is just another type of compulsion so like it's this constant battle where you have to push yourself um, in order to get better. How do you how do you talk to people so they know how to do that? Because someone might be like, oh, just, just touch the table knowing that you have to do that to help. But that's not helpful. So how does someone then help, help I think like, respect the journey and, and where you're at in that moment and not making it worse and not making you feel even more uncomfortable by forcing you to do something because they know you're trying to get better? I think a lot of it is about like understanding OCD and understanding OCD treatment because it is quite niche. Mm. Uh, it's quite different. I think everyone's default is to want to be helpful and when you want to avoid doing something, it's helpful for someone else to you know pick up the slack and do it for you, but that's not actually helpful. And so I just have to, like sometimes when we were going my husband does a thing when we go to the football, which yes. I shouldn't do and I shouldn't let him so do. So it's an avoidance. Yeah. But I do it at the moment to help keep me inside my little window of tolerance. Yeah. And so the thing is we, we're members of the Fremantle Football Club and we go to the football games. I had a thing occur on the way up to Coral Bay with a turnstile. Okay. And I'm really not okay with turnstiles at the moment. What's a turnstile? So, you know, like when you go into a stadium or into a shop and there's like a little gate that lets you oh, in. Oh, the little spinny thing that you can get stuck in and you're like, not yep. the big glass one that spins around, but the little one. The one that's the got a metal. metal. Yeah. It's like little spikes that stick out the sides yep. and they spin around. You kind of got to scoop your legs in. <laughs> yeah. I can't touch them at the moment. I can. I really, really don't want to. And the fact that like... <laughs> I've left the house. Sometimes I've caught a bus, which is also not great for me. 
um, to get to the stadium and then I'm in a crowd with people, I'm about to sit on a chair. It's anything that's a communal anything yes. really. So I'm about to sit on a chair that's a communal space. I'm about to, we sit in the front row, we've got really good seats. So at the end of the game, all these kids want to come down and meet the players. And so kids will be, you know, right up touching me and stuff and I don't like it. And so there's so many things that are exposing me and, you know, pushing my OCD buttons the whole time we're there. And so one of those things is touching the turnstile with any part of my body, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, Tell me that he picks you up and carries you through. Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> he opens the turnstile for me. Or I go through the disabled one that they can open for you. Yeah. That is not something that I should be doing. That's not something that helps my OCD recovery. That's hard, even for me, if I was going with you, I'd be so aware at all those things that are hard, I feel like that I'd let that happen because I'm like, it's okay, it's just that because I know how much everything else will be draining and, yeah. and overwhelming that I'll just help you with this to take the weight off of that. Yeah. But I can see how that's counteractive. Yeah, and because I'm early in my recovery, I'm allowing it. My psychologist is allowing One it. One step at a time. Yeah. And it's ideally with OCD recovery, you don't do any compulsions. Um, I look forward to that day, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> You'll get there. Yeah. You've already made so many changes and have, you must feel like, wow, already thinking back. It's really hard because you get caught at where you're at now and you forget to look at how far you've come. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm writing things down as well because there's some things that I couldn't previously do that I can do now because, you know, I'm getting better. And I've got a friend that I met recently who, until maybe a couple of months ago, hadn't told anyone apart from their immediate family and their very, very closest friends that they actually have OCD. And we catch up now for coffees and we give each other challenges. So, That's you know, fantastic. yeah, today, so today, but this week after we'd caught up, um, you know, we'd given each other challenges that they make us uncomfortable reading the text to be given the instructions of what I was supposed to do made me uncomfortable but th that's kind of part of the process as well like you need to challenge that and so that's nice to then have that person who you know we can we can push each other and you bounce off each other and mm. you're like you did it fantastic how are you feeling and, yeah. and feeling I think that's such a brave thing to do mm. so brave when you already feel so unsafe and so uneasy it's really brave to put yourself in a position where you feel really scared yeah that's like all of my my entire existence exactly right <laughs> but I just think that's you're incredibly brave I think you're very very brave yeah I think it it is there is this thing about bravery with it because even you know if I let myself do the things that I want to do I would not leave my house but I like catching up with friends and I like going to Pilates and I like having, you know, coffee dates and I like going to the shops to try new things and I really want to go to this conference in San Francisco and so, like, everything I do, I'm pushing myself, essentially. But the reason that I wanted to have some time off work was because OCD got so loud mm. that I really... I don't think I could have got better or improved had I not taken a break. Yeah. I think that's really powerful though for you to say, 
here I am, this is where I'm at in this moment and this is going to help better me and help my recovery, I need to do this for me. Yeah, yeah. Because you have yourself to live with for the rest of your life and if it means that you have three months off work so you can have freedom and recovery and live the life that you want to live, then bloody oath. Yeah, and that's how I feel about it. Like, I was my employer at the moment are amazing. They... I kind of said I've reduced my hours first because I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm, I'm just really, really struggling. Maybe I'll work less. I was worse after I reduced my hours. And this is a practice that, you know, I love the practice and I love the people that work there and the patients for the vast majority of the time are great. Yeah. And it's five minutes from my house and yes. you know, it's a it's a great clinic and I couldn't understand like how I felt so awful when I've optimized every facet of my life. You've left my BD, work you've gone yeah, to BGP. My work is as good as I can get it. My relationship, you know, everyone's relationships are sometimes hard and stuff, but like we're really solid. I go to Pilates three times a week. I eat well, I sleep well, thank God. I'm doing really intensive psychology at the moment. Like I'm doing two sessions a week and I'm... That's exhausting as it is. It really is. Like I'm pretty, at the moment, I can pretty much do two things in a day and that's enough for me. I get a headache most days. I'm exhausted most days. On Tuesday, I had this huge, huge day, and that was it impacted my sleep. Like, I wanted to go to sleep to do something, and I wasn't able to, but there was so many things going on that day and so many moving parts. So, when I work, and there's all those moving parts, and you think in, in general practice, you know, there's a new patient every 15 minutes, you're making decisions sort of quite quickly. You're making them independently for the most part as well. Whereas, you know, previously in EDs, there's a team that you're working with and you can ask questions and you get on the phone and stuff. You can do that in GP, but if you, you can't really do it in the 15 minutes that someone's come with their, you know, surprise problem that you're not really sure of what is until they're in the door with 15 you. 15 minutes is just ludicrous. Yeah, and so it was a lot. So. This period has been really good because it's given me the opportunity, like with all of these things that I'm doing, to also talk to someone who's a medical career planner. Oh, fantastic. And so I've got a really great idea of what I want to do moving forward. Yeah, so my my grand plan, I've got my, there's a few things going on at the moment. This is where it gets really exciting, everyone. Yeah. I'll, do you want to briefly list the things that are happening and then we can really go into the baby. Yeah. My baby. The baby. <laughs> Lee is not pregnant. The baby is the, the um, I think metaphor I, for the It's my ideas. work baby. It's a work baby. If I were ever pregnant, yes. every person on the planet that knows me really well would scream out loud because I'm so not a parent. <laughs> oh, you would be an amazing mother. You're so caring and understanding and... No, it's not for me. I have beautiful doggies that I care for and they've got the best life ever. And, and you don't have to justify that. If you, if it's not for you, then own it. Yeah. It's not for you. Yeah, that's a whole other con. Yes, so there's a few things happening. Some that I will mention very, very briefly because yes. they're also in their infancy, but we have a federal senator on board with OCD mm. 
awareness and getting the word out there and we're going to be doing some stuff with the federal government which is very exciting. This is huge. We are in the talks, I say we, <laughs> I'm in talks, I'm part of some groups. We can say we because <laughs> we know that there's people behind the scenes helping. Yes. But this is all um, Lee's doing. She has... This is me having time off work. She's had time off work, she had an epiphany and she's having a shift in paradigm. She's like, mm. I'm going to pursue this. Yeah, so there's my federal bits and pieces that I'm doing, which is all very new to me. There's... A conference that we're hoping to set up in Australia. Oh wow! With some really amazing nationally and internationally renowned OCD people, I feel very, very privileged to have been included in those conversations. Fantastic. Um, And then my baby, my OCD baby, is that moving forward with my stuff, I will finish my fellowship. Yay! When I get my brain into tune. Um, I'm going to become a GP with special interest in OCD and I'm going to set up a clinic for people with OCD and their families that's going to include GP care that I can provide, psychiatry, psychology, social work, dietetics, peer support, and all the resources I can kind of muster. Because I think that's something that is really great in America. And that's why I'm really looking forward to going to this conference is the way that they've set things up and the way that they've got people who know OCD treatment doing OCD treatment. And they've seen the results. Yeah. And I wanna set something up here because we do, we have a dedicated OCD clinic in Perth and it's, um, I'm sure brilliant. I'm gonna be emailing them about some stuff. (laughs) I'm not a patient there. But I do feel that within Australia, OCD treatment, recognition, peer support is really, really lacking. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm a, in a really, really privileged position as someone with OCD who also has a medical degree and also, you know, is lucky to have contacts can set something up. So my grand plan is to have this place where it's intensive outpatient treatment because I think we all need to just, you know, be in our normal homes, living in society as we normally do, plus conquering our OCD at the same time. And I really just want it to be a safe space. So everyone that I've spoken to about it loves it. I love it. (laughs) I love it. People that I know who have OCD that want to be involved with it will be involved with it. One of my friends is planning to do some more education in counselling so that they can, you know, help run the the, um, peer support sessions with a greater understanding of the, the bits and pieces behind it. And I think it will be a really helpful place because I think what's really missing, there's a lot of things that are missing mm. really. It's, and it's, at, it's in all levels. So clinicians, I don't remember learning anything about OCD in medical school. Wow. I know that in the you know, textbook of GP land that is Murtagh's general practice, there's a paragraph on OCD, very brief. 
I know that there are a lot of people who do not get diagnosed with OCD when they very clearly have OCD. I referred someone recently for an inpatient stay because they were struggling so much. They didn't have a formal diagnosis yet. And in my referral, I wrote, these are their obsessions. These are their compulsions. This is how much it's impacting their daily functioning. They were not diagnosed with OCD. They weren't really offered any support afterwards. And I just think, you know, I've spelled it out to you. And it's because I think sometimes people don't have it in their, you know, understanding or it's not in yes, their comfort zone with front. stuff. Yeah, it's so not. I think there's a lot that we can do with medical professionals. One of my friends who has OCD will agree with that 1000%. <laughs> He's quite vocal about not liking how it's approached, which yes. is fair enough. There's probably, I, th I was reading some statistics recently and it was like only about 25% of psychologists are really aware of OCD and it's like niche requirements wow. for treatment and even fewer are actually trained in providing that treatment. Oh. And so this is to then, you know, help psychologists with extra training. There's also a huge shortage of psychologists. Um, with the specialty. In general. And then yes, with the specialty. Um, and I think because this is such a debilitating condition, like I'm lucky because I'm not working at the moment, but I can still afford two lots of private psychology a week and, you know, buying the textbooks and spending an absolute fortune going to San Francisco for a, a conference. Like I'm lucky. I'm not functioning particularly well, but I'm lucky compared to some. I know that some people cannot work. They are reliant on government um, support. support. Uh, you know, 10 subsidised mental health sessions a year really isn't sufficient for things like OCD where you do need intense things. And so that's part of my federal government discussions oh, that are going on. And if you don't know what your OCD is about and you don't know how to treat your OCD, you are not going to get better. Mm. Your outcomes are not going to improve. It's not going to magically get better. So like you need to work on it. You need to get the therapy. You need, you to, need to push the yourself. in the room. Exactly. <laughs> and it's hard. It is so hard and it is very expensive. Um, and so I want that to be accessible for people. That's fantastic. Mm. And the amount of people that will be struggling quietly behind the closed door and trying to get to work and not really functioning and like you say like how do you afford treatment where do you even start how do you begin the conversation with your doctor like and if you do what happens if then they're not really um receiving of that they can't really help you and then you feel like you're just lost and isolated like that's a really really vulnerable place to be mm. and that was what i found like when i was first diagnosed it was the isolation that was really distressing for me and i think as well because mental health awareness and understanding and acceptance is so much better now than it ever has been but even you know someone in my family said like you can't tell anyone about this um, then you feel like you're shunned you feel like you carry a big burden yeah and it was I don't think 
me not speaking about things has done me any favours at all. And as someone with OCD who is anxious about everything and questions everything and must be perfect with everything, mm -hmm. I've said to my psychologist, like, does is this going to impact my ability to be a doctor? And she, she didn't laugh, but she was like, no, you're brilliant. And you are brilliant. Thank you. I agree with that statement. <laughs> She's right. You are brilliant. And it's... I find those things so hard to accept and yeah, it's the pressure you put on yourself and that little internal voice, that critical, nasty and yeah. a child critiquing, yeah. pulling you down all the time when you feel like you're on track. It's like, haha, let's just knock your ankles, trip you off a little bit yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah. My psychologist wrote a letter to the psychiatrist that I just saw, like, query the ADHD stuff. Yes. That said that I'm, um, you know, I'm bright and I'm insightful and all those sorts of things. But then she also said, um, you know, I'm exceptional at my work. And I remember reading it and being like, I'm not even working at the moment, though. Like, I just don't see that. But I am being kinder to myself and I do mm. realise, like... I recently had an um, experience within the family where one of my family members felt very anxious about something and essentially panicked about it. And I was just like, oh, okay. So normal people react to a stressor like. And I was like, that's every bloody waking minute of my day Dang. feels like that. And that yeah. must be um, a really interesting concept for you when you hear people voice about those little moments like James with the with the cabin and feeling that needing that urgency to go yeah. back and check on you and then your family member having this anxiety leading to like a little bit of a panic attack that must feel like oh. I was pretty irritated with the family member um but yeah like it's I realize how much effort I need to put into Every day. just living and it's really hard and it's, you kind of wish that you don't have it, but there's a um, like person in America called um, John Grayson and he has established a lot of the OCD care that we do now. He's absolutely brilliant. Oh, and he kind of thinks that people with Let's OCD... Let's get him on board in the centre. Oh, my goodness. I would love that. Thank you. Someone Grayson, was it? Yeah, John Grayson. I know someone who knows him who will also be at the conference, and so I'm sneaky, sneaky hoping that I get to meet him. You will. He can sign my you book. You just wait. John Grayson, he's going to sign your book, and then he'll be coming to the centre and... I've highlighted oh, things in his got, book. <laughs> Lee's just showing me the book that she's brought, which is his book. It's actually a really cool book. Yeah. It's, got, it's called Freedom from Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Does um, Jonathan struggle with it himself? No, he doesn't. He's and he is, he is probably... I don't understand how he is so amazing at what he does as a person who doesn't have OCD. This always surprises me as well in the medical industry is how people can understand things when they haven't even gone through it themselves. Yeah. Like they just study it so much that they're able to understand it to that degree of, mm. or it's of such interest to them that they really put themselves into that. And I just don't, so in the very introduction of this book, I've highlighted the thing that I was, do you mind if I read from Please it? Please do. This, I read it to my husband and he kind of, I think it was just that this really resonated with me more than 
other people, but yes. I don't know. Anyway, this is from John Grayson, who is a person that does not have OCD, that gets OCD. Um, he said, for all of us, the person we show the world is not exactly who we are. We all have our private thoughts, opinions and secrets. But for you, the gulf between your private and public selves is greater. No matter which aspects of your OCD everyone else sees, you and I know it's only the tip of the iceberg. And I was just like, oh, he, Someone he gets, gets it. it. Someone actually gets it. Yeah. That, that the superior little piece that everyone sees is just 1% yeah. of my entire being. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I'm so excited to meet him. I'm so excited for you to go and meet him. So you're meeting him in San Fran? Well, he's going to be where I am in San Francisco and I know people that know him and I'd very much like to be able to meet him. But that's really empowering for him as well, knowing that he's really is having such a huge impact. Oh yeah, like, like look at that's the... three pages into his large book. I'm, my head's exploding with like Feeling understanding. Understood. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things when you have something where you feel so isolated and it's hard to be vulnerable and speak up because of fear of that stigma and that judgment to then yeah. have something like this where you actually feel yeah. not like an alien. Yeah. Yeah. And it like it is pretty alien. And there's I think we haven't, I haven't really said too much about all of the subtypes, but like mine are socially okay kind of things. Like contamination, fine. Um, like perfectionism and checking and just right stuff, that only bothers me, so that's fine. Harm stuff, weird and wacky, not actually gonna do it. Probably interesting for people to hear <laughs> what I think about in my head. Those are my main ones and they cause distress and dysfunction, but there's nothing anyone's like going to be too offended yeah. by. Whereas if you read that book, yes. um, Try Not To Think Of A Pink Elephant, my friend Martin has had all sorts of things that you think are, they're really socially taboo things. He's been really open about it. Okay. He's done lots of stuff in the media about it. but. There are other subtypes. He doesn't have all of these subtypes, but they include things like scrupulosity. So where people have been brought up really religious and a lot of their obsessions are about religious content and you know the morality associated with that. And I honestly feel privileged having grown up someone that's not religious. That just doesn't factor in for me. So aren't I lucky? But yeah, there's all sorts of like, you know, relationship yeah. OCD stuff where, you know, I could be questioning every day, is James actually in love with me and are we actually a good match and is there someone else out there that's better for me and people have those sorts of thoughts that keep going. I don't, thankfully. There's, uh, I'm trying to think what else there is, like uh, there's harm OCD that is about harming other people. There's hit and run OCD sort of stuff where, you know, a friend of mine used to live a long way away from university like he, he lived away at university and drove home and it took him it was a long drive he thinks maybe about a seven hour drive but it would take him 14 because he'd have to keep stopping and going back and checking that he's not done something awful so just the time that it wow. takes to you know do all normal people things can be really it's crippling it's, it's disabling yeah and obviously hitting people with your car isn't great not that he's ever done that <laughs> 
please don't do that. But it's, and yeah, I guess that's the nice thing about yeah. peer support is you can have you can be so open and you can have all these conversations about people, about your own, um, you know, OCD yes, things, and yes. you're in, you're in this non-judgmental environment. So like when I talk to you about it, yeah. I don't think that you're judgmental well, about it at all. But also, I think that if I had something that was really socially taboo, to then be able to talk about it like would be more difficult. Um, you can see how that would become a real barrier. Yeah. But this is where the, the concept that you have, your little work baby that we just spoke about earlier, is so fantastic mm. because one of the things with OCD is feeling like an alien and feeling yeah. isolated and alone. So then having a place where people can come and feel safe and meet people that are like them and want freedom that's really empowering to be like I'm going to be brave and I'm going to try and yeah. look at my future and seek freedom and and do what I can to get there and yeah and I think it's I was thinking recently about like when I'd stopped working and I was wondering what I was going to be doing um, I remembered as a teenager in the car with my mum saying like whatever I do I just want to be like really passionate about it and I want it to be helpful and I didn't know what it was and sorry to all of the doctors out there but I feel like medicine sucked out so much of my love and so much of my personality and my drive for things probably a lot because I was dealing with all these other things mm. and I didn't know how to process it all but I finally feel like I've got to this spot where I'm I know something that's going to be good to do, that's going to help people, that I feel passionate about. And I am going to be, you know, able to reach that kind of goal that I had for myself that I really want to do something yes. that I feel passionate about. And so, you know, having tried so hard to study for my fellowship exams and struggled so much, like I still have to jump through that hurdle and I'll probably get there eventually. But it helps motivate me when I think, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing. And even though I'm writing down all of the things that are going on in my head as they're happening, because I'm not quite, you know, functioning at the level that I should, mm. I feel so motivated to to do it and to push You're through. You're passionate about it and yeah. have an interest and you can, you understand. Mm. Yeah, That's so empowering, wanting to to do something and knowing the greater good for it. Yeah. And I think too, when you're at this point in your life where you're looking for that yourself, knowing how beneficial it, beneficial it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's gonna make such a big difference. Everyone I've spoken to about it, it who has OCD and who, and who doesn't have OCD have all just gone like, ooh, interesting. My GP, who I was telling about it, wants to send me patients. She's like, oh, I've got some. <laughs> and when this all starts to evolve, it's just a baby, so it's gonna take time to build, but for people listening that are kind of also feeling that, oh my gosh, this is a bit of a lifeline for me, I will touch back in with um, Dr. Lee Shepherd, and we will probably plug her centre when it's- Eventually, when eventually it's up and running. up and running, and we'll give details and we'll have the, I guess there'll be a website and things, so we'll be able to get people to jump on board and you know, like looking to find treatment and yeah. support. I think at the moment as well, like even this week, I had someone who I work with, who I worked with previously, message me personally to sort of say, mm. struggling 
with this little bit, do you have any recommendations? And it was OCD specific. And I think part of my qualities that are very unique and I do think that this is like part of my brilliant quality. I will give myself this one. You have many brilliant qualities. <laughs> is I'm really good at connecting people with what they need. So I, I even when I was back in ED, like if someone needed something and there was pushback or whatever, like I got it done because yes. that's what they need. Yeah. Um, so I'm just thinking that like sometimes a surgical specialty or a medical specialty will want to say no but then if you know that this is what is needed and this is the right thing like you kind of push for it mm. respectfully um, and then you do what's best for the patient and so I think for OCD stuff like I'm in a really great position to know doctors who are interested no psychiatrists who are interested mm. no psychologists who are interested no other people who have it who want to connect with people with OCD and it's, I kind of say it's like this Rolodex in my head of like, who's like, what have I got available? And then what is this person asking for? And I had that this week where someone messaged and said, this is what I need. Um, do you have any suggestions? And so I was like, this one, try that. Um, and so I think this will be a nice place for that to all come in. And yeah, like I, even though it's not established yet, I'm so passionate about this and I want to know if you need help, so please do contact me yes. um, and we'll figure it out. Absolutely. This is so exciting. Really, really exciting. It's, um, yeah, I think you should be really proud of yourself for how brave you've been, not only talking about your journey and the insight to wanting to, knowing that there's something there that you want to address and then what it's then led to and then now on your own journey and just the whole trajectory of everything. I think you should be, like we said earlier, it's so easy to just look at where we're at now and get caught up in that, but just look back and be like, wow, hmm. what's happened and what is yet to happen? Yeah. Like there's a whole world out there of exciting Yeah, and beginnings. I think when I look back, because this all feels like a very large, you know, incomplete project at the moment and it's all, ideas it's definitely ideas that are becoming more consolidated and there's people that are going to help me and yes. you know it's becoming more of a thing but I don't I feel like this is this isn't going to be hard so many because things that I've done about it yes you want to be doing this so many things that I've previously done were really hard this isn't so that's this, when you know hey yeah this is going to happen this is going to be beautiful is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I'm just looking in my up? notebook to make <laughs> sure I've said all my things. And I always like to ask at the end of my podcast um, three questions to my guests. But before I do that, we'll just make sure that there wasn't anything else that you wanted to jump on and share. I don't think so. Yeah. I think really just that, you know, I'm an open book about this mm. and I do want people to feel like they're comfortable I think you know there's one to three percent of the population have OCD yes that's probably about 500,000 people in Australia plus their family so you know it, this affects so many people and it's just not out there and it's not discussed it's not um and it's debilitating some of the research for the conference that they were we're sort of trying to set up estimates that the amount that this costs the Australian people in terms of like lack of productivity because you can't work or 
you know, whatever you're finding difficult managing with your OCD, it costs over $3 billion. So this makes a huge impact yes. to everybody, but there's nothing central that's no. actually, you know, addressing it. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's kind of for personal gain, but also for the greater good. Absolutely. And everyone that we're talking about it at all levels is on board. There has been no pushback. It's no. just that this hasn't been brought up. There hasn't been a time where someone has raised their hand and said, hey, guys, let's do this. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a lot of people out there that want to be doing things, but I don't know that there's been like a big coordinated thing and that's what we're working towards. So that's why I've got like a few little projects going on. Yeah. Some of them are, are very broad and for everyone. Some of them are like my little baby that's gonna sort itself out, but it's all, it's all for the people. Yes. Yeah. You're amazing. Me included. It helps me. <laughs> You're amazing. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that as well. Thank you for having so me. so vulnerable and, and talking. And I'm sure that people listening, there'll be someone who, whether it's them personally or within their family or a friend, there has to be that will be able to listen to this and relate in some way. And I do set up meet and greets. So do join us Fantastic. if you want to and everyone's welcome we will put those details somewhere for you guys to find i may even in the description box for this put them in or something yeah yeah i'm happy for it to be emailed yeah. i'm on social media i'll put in lee's email address and then if when people are listening if they want to get in touch with lee directly we can have her email address there for you guys to link in so i think we're kind of reaching the end of our chat yeah, I, was, I said a lot. <laughs> you did, and thank you so much for sharing. No worries. So we're reaching the end now with my chat with Lee. So I'm going to ask her three final questions, which you probably hear me saying to a lot of the other guests. And the first question is, what is the most common question you get asked from your patients? I can't think of one that is actually like an okay answer because some of them are a little bit rude um but people I th love rude we can do it rude <laughs> <laughs> one i guess one of the common ones from ed and then sometimes a little bit in gp land was like you look too young to be a doctor how old are you and then i'll get 25. them and then i'll get them to guess and then i'll be very nervous waiting for them to guess because I'm like oh god what are you gonna say yeah and then when they do do their guess and I tell them the answer they look closer and then they agree <laughs> no <laughs> I guess they just have to confirm like yeah yeah I see that yeah because they probably felt a bit uncomfortable asking you and yeah. oh my gosh so that's um, one of the most common things patients yeah. say is how like yeah you're too young and then I think probably the other common one is like where did you do your training which you know that's fine yeah mm. oh wow okay a second question if you could live life again no limits zero restrictions what career or job would you choose i know i didn't have to think about this one at all stay at home dog mum love that what dogs would you have any any yeah. you could adopt you yeah, can have yeah. a dog adoption house Oh yeah, I think it'd be nice to have like a little puppy daycare or something. Yes, I thought, because I've got a dog, Port hmm. Collie. Uh, Cookie, I know him, he's you know amazing. Him. <laughs> he's the little cutie. Um, Cookie because he's a blue mill and he's got like his nose is all spotty and his yeah. face is all spotty so he's like a little chop chip. He's beautiful. Thank you, thank you.
When he was a puppy and I was trying to go to work, I was like, oh my gosh, I need a daycare because there was times where I was renting and we had home home inspections, sorry, and you're just supposed to have your dogs out of the house when they yeah. come inspect their property, so I'd have to take that day off work to look after him. I was like, this is where I need Lee to have a little daycare and I can drop. I know there are daycares around there, but it's fantastic. Yeah, I want to do, I just, I like to hang out with my dogs. Um, they are sick of me. <laughs> They're like, Mum, when are you going back to work? We want to sleep in the sun and just... Stop patting me. Stop loving me. Yeah, I like dogs. Oh, I love that. I want to have in my OCD clinic... Yes. I do want to have, like, a clinic dog. So oh. I think I'll end up... I've got German Shepherds at the moment and they're my babies and I love them dearly. And they're kind of middle-aged German Shepherds now. And I hope that they live forever, but they won't. I know that. But yeah. I think like a big Newfie or something, oh. like a big teddy bear. Good question. Yes. So the last question is what is your personal pet hate? Well, it's new from the last 18 months, but it's the whole I'm so OCD or, oh, yeah, I find it really yes. triggering. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when people say, oh, like look at my structured desk i'm so ocd yep that's frustrating yep and yeah most of the time people don't mean anything by it but i think because you have self-awareness of what's going on for you that you can you take that differently yeah you process those comments very differently than yeah and i think yeah it's kind of a combo of oh i'm so ocd this is what i do and oh, that's so great because, like, your house must be clean and you must feel great about this because nothing about OCD feels good. No. Um, no, I think that's the most important, that's a really important take that people can take from this as well is that people with OCD don't want to be doing what they're doing. It doesn't feel good to do what they're doing. Yeah. It's not a nice place to be. Yeah, it's, it's really rough. And I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. But I and think this is why you are so passionate yeah. about making a change because you know you wouldn't want anyone to deal with what you're having to deal with. It's absolutely crippling. And I certainly wouldn't... I don't know if we talked about like the average length of time to diagnosis. It varies when you look at different publications, but it's like on average like 10 years between wow. symptom onset and diagnosis. Mine was over 30. Wow. Which is a miracle because I'm only 25. But... You said it. Yeah. I've had symptoms Since over 30 years before I was diagnosed. When is it most commonly diagnosed? Because I read that it's OCD is common in young men, young boys I should say, more so in adult women. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think mm. there's, I think there's some like peaks in when symptoms come about so it's either like childhood I think I was quite young in childhood to have kind of recognized when things were cropping up so I think it's normally sort of 8 to 12 or something like that and then early adulthood mm. tends to be like another spike so I don't know what my like early 30s spike was yeah. early ha mid <laughs> <laughs> You're still young. We shouldn't joke about your age like that because you're actually very young and thriving. So In the grand scheme of things. You are. You've still got a whole double of what you've already lived to live. Oh, yeah, I just I do have a lot of time to you know, make a functional difference. And I think 
all of those things that happened to me in that year where it was just awful, as awful as it was, as triggering as it was, it made everything so much worse for me personally. But when I had time off then as well, and it wasn't even very much time, it was very clear to me what was important in life and it's about being happy and it's about yes. enjoying life and it doesn't like money status all of those things don't even factor in for me it's about freedom and happiness yeah yeah and puppies And I'm here to conclude your listening. You may have heard during that episode, Lee talked about her email address and a few other links. Um, there was reference of a YouTube link as well. So please have a look at the description box for this episode. Um, I have filled it with a few different links and access for further information on quite a few different things. So if anything was of interest to you or felt like you needed to look into further please please access those links and reach out to lee as she said she's more than open to having a conversation with you